0: Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from Scripture will inspire and encourage you. In this episode, we continue to explore the theme of exile and return by focusing on the book of Jeremiah. How does Jeremiah fit with the overall historical context of the Old Testament and the Minor Prophets? What does Jeremiah have to say about the exile Israel is undergoing at the time? The book of Jeremiah contains three major components, a charge, a verdict, and a restoration. In this episode, we begin by exploring the charge.
1: Uh, Someone recently asked me a question about my lessons. They asked me, do you prepare hours and hours or do you prepare a little bit? How do you do these lessons? uh, my answer was it depends sometimes I'm talking about something I've studied for years <clears throat> sometimes I'm learning along with you well this this particular series in in, in general and this lesson in particular I'm definitely learning along with you because this isn't this is an area that uh, I've uh, picked around the edges of for years but never really understood well this whole this whole uh, major-minor prophets in the exile and return. So this lesson on uh, today, we're going to do the book of Jeremiah. I'm going to try to cover the whole book in one lesson. It's, it's an ambitious project, but we'll see if it, if it works. Uh, let me first give you the uh, uh, basic historical context of what's going on here. And then I'll talk to you a little bit about this person, Jeremiah. And then I'm going to propose the basic lesson of this book is a charge by God, a verdict, and a restoration. So that's, that's the way I'm going to propose we organize the basic message of the book. And that's how we can cover it in one, one day. <laughs> the book of Jeremiah uh, is not written chronologically, so it can be a little bit discombobulating if you don't know what's basically going on. So the the basic history, the time that we're in, uh, is important. Let's just look at the uh, overall historical context of the Old Testament again. We've got in 2000 BC, the character Abraham, these are all approximate dates. 1500 Moses, so you've got Genesis through basically numbers written the first 500 years. And then you start all the kings, and between the kings and the end of the... Uh, exile period. You've got most of the rest of the Old Old Testament. So you've got Saul, David, Solomon, and then the kingdom splits into north and south. And from that point on, for the most part, then when you see the word Israel, it's talking about the northern ten kingdom, uh, northern kingdom with ten tribes. When you see the word Judah, it's talking about the southern kingdom with the tribes of Judah and Benjamin around 700 you got Assyria comes in and captures the northern kingdom they go into exile and their return is still pending we know they will return from the book of Revelation and God still knows who's in those tribes but uh, in many respects other the rest of us don't um, and then in 700 you have the character Hezekiah and you have this this countdown to the kind of the end of the uh, Davidic kingdom. Uh, goes Hezekiah who was a really good guy Manasseh who was one of the very worst Josiah who was a great guy and they found the Bible under Josiah and then Josiah's three sons all of which were kind of miserable failures and then the fall of Jerusalem Uh, the key dates kind of at the end of all this after, after Josiah Josiah dies in 609 in 609 Babylon supplants Assyria and uh, becomes the dominant kingdom on earth. In 605, the Battle of Carchemish happens, and Babylon uh, defeats Egypt because there was a tussle. Then there's a power vacuum. There's a tussle. Is it going to be Egypt or is it going to be Babylon that's the dominant one? And Babylon wins, but it's not a definitive battle. It, it doesn't. Egypt's presence doesn't go away. It's just diminished. So what you see during this time period of Jeremiah is Judah is like a, uh, Judah is, you know, 722s happened, so Israel's already under uh, Assyrian and then subsequently Babylonian domination, but Judah is a like a ping-pong ball bouncing between being a vassal of Egypt and being a vassal of Babylon, and the basic thing that happens in this book of Jeremiah is that uh, Jeremiah is telling them, just submit to Babylon and you'll be fine. And they won't do it. They trust in Egypt and hence the source of their misery. That's that's basically what's going on here. Uh, You can see this uh, in 2 Chronicles 36. Let's just look at the uh, biblical text here. 2 Chronicles chapter 36 We're going to be doing a lot of flipping today. Second Chronicles 36, verse 3. Uh, well, we'll just, we'll just start with verse 1. Then the people of the land took Jehoiahaz, the son of Josiah. So this is Josiah that's died. Josiah had died in 609. Babylon is supplanting Assyria, and he ends up in a battle with uh, Egypt and dies the same year. Uh, "...and made him king in his father's place in Jerusalem." Verse 2 of chapter 36, Jehoiaz was 23 years old when he became king. He reigned three months in Jerusalem. Now the king of Egypt deposed him at Jerusalem. So you can see here, Egypt is still dominant over Judah at this time. "...and he imposed on the land a tribute of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold." This is why the tyrants of the ancient world took countries over, so they could get tax revenues. Unlike today, of course. <laughs> then the king of Egypt made his brother Eliakim, king over Judah and Jerusalem, and changed his name to Jehoiakim. And Necho, that's a pharaoh, took Jehoiaz, his brother, and carried him off to Egypt. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king. He reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord God. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against him, bound him in bronze fetters to carry him off to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar also carried off some of the articles from the house of the Lord to Babylon, put them in the temple at Babylon. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim, the abominations which he did and what was found against him, indeed, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. Then Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his place. Jehoiachin was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months and ten days. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he turned and at the turn of the year King Nebuchadnezzar summoned him, took him to Babylon with the costly articles made from the house of the Lord, and made Zedekiah, Jehoiakim's brother, king over Judah and Jerusalem. Zedekiah was twenty one years old when he became king. He reigned eleven years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord his God, did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear an oath by God, but he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against the turning to the against turning to the Lord God of Israel. Moreover all the leaders of the priests and the people transgressed more and more according to the abominations of the nations, and defiled the house of the Lord, which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. So you can see the kings here are all appointed by either who or who? Yeah, yeah, Pharaoh or the Babylonian king, see? And it's kind of flipping back and forth here. So you can see see the signs of the times happening as as we go here. And you can see that uh, Zedekiah is uh, the recipient of many of Jeremiah's prophecies, and he did or did not listen to them? Did not listen to them, okay? So that's basically what's going on. We can look in uh, Jeremiah 37, verse 11. And you can see here, it's not, from a human perspective, it's not unreasonable that they would trust in Egypt. Chapter 37, verse 11. And it happened when the army of the Chaldeans left the siege of Jerusalem for fear of Pharaoh's army, that Jeremiah went out of Jerusalem to go do some stuff. Okay, So there is actually a siege in 597, that uh, the Egyptian soldiers helped them resist. And you can think of it, you know, uh, Egypt is much closer. Uh, Egypt has been a major power for all these years. And if you'll notice, one of the general themes in the Bible is the scripture always says, don't trust in Egypt. And they're always going to Egypt. You notice that? It's a theme of the Bible. That from which you've been delivered, you keep going back to trust in. You ever heard that before? Uh, Egypt in the scripture is a, I think even the Hebrew word Egyptian means slavery. There's kind of a, and that's what the symbol of Egypt is in the scripture. Don't trust in Egypt. And once again here, they're being implored not to do that, but they do. Okay, so that's generally what's going on uh, in in the historical context. Without that, you're kind of lost in this book. But with that, I think that's adequate. You'll be able to follow just fine. Again, Jeremiah is not written chronologically, so he'll bounce around. And so you've got to kind of have an idea of this historical context to know where you are in the book. Uh, So now let's talk. We've talked a little bit about the historical context. Now we'll talk about who is this person, Jeremiah. So let's go to the first part of Jeremiah here, Jeremiah chapter 1. And, and let's just get an introduction to this person, Jeremiah. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. So he, Anathoth is just 10 miles or so from Jerusalem, something like that. And his family were priests. That does not necessarily mean that they would be a godly family. Because as, we'll see in this, as you'll see in this book, if you go back and read it, uh, the priests were uh, corrupt as well in large part. But perhaps they were. We don't know. What we do know is he was called by the Lord. So in verse 4, "...the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you." That's a very amazing verse, isn't it? "...before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart, sanctified you. I adorned you a prophet to the nations." One of the things we'll see in this book is and we're not going to look at the prophecies to the nations, but actually Jeremiah prophesized to many nations, not just Judah. Then said I, I Lord God, I, I cannot speak, I'm a youth. This word youth can mean young, it can mean servant. Either way, he doesn't think he really rises to this level of uh, capability. Do not say I'm a youth. For you shall go to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I put words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and pull down, to destroy and throw down, to build and to plant. So your words are going to be my instrument to uh, alter the course of human history. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? I said, I see a, an all, a branch of an almond tree. The Lord said to me, you've seen well, for I'm ready to perform my word. The almond tree was sort of the first tree to blossom in the spring. So what he's saying is, I'm ready to get going with my actions here. And the word of the Lord came to me the second time. And said, what do you see? I said, I see a boiling pot, and it's facing away from the north. The Lord said to me, out of the north, calamity. "...shall break forth on all the inhabitants of the land. Behold, I am calling all the families of the kingdom of the north, says the Lord. They shall come, and each one set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against its walls, and all around, and against the cities of Judah. I will utter judgments against them concerning their wickedness, because they have forsaken me." Burn incense to other gods and worship the works of their own hands. Therefore, prepare yourself and arise and speak them all I command you. So that's the charge and the basic message to Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah's ministry was a miserable failure from a human standpoint. Let's look at chapter 25. Chapter 25, verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, From the thirtieth year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, this is the twenty-third year in which the word of the Lord has come to me, and I've spoken to you. Okay, twenty-three. If somebody says, I've worked somewhere 20 years, what do you usually say? Yeah, you've been there a long time, right? That's a long time. You might even have a watch if you, if you work somewhere at 23 years. I've been doing this for 23 years, but you have not listened. Now, so how would you like to give a message for 23 years and no one listened to you for 23 years? And the Lord has sent you all his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them. Oh, I'm sorry, and I missed the part. And I've spoken to you rising early and speaking, but you've not listened. So he's been diligent. It's not just that he spoke occasionally. He's diligently been preaching this message to no avail. Verse 5, they said, Repent now every one of his evil way and his evil doings, and dwell in the land the Lord has given you, and your fathers forever and ever. Do not go after other gods to serve them and worship them. Do not provoke me to anger with the works of your hands. I will not harm you. Yet you've not listened to me, says the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. Therefore, says the Lord of hosts, because you've not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north. This is the boiling pot that's going to happen. Now, do you think that because Jeremiah was called by the Lord, saw the Lord, got the word words of the Lord, that that made this easy for him? no. Let's look at uh, chapter 20. We can see how very painful this was for Jeremiah. Uh, There's another passage where he says, I wish I'd never been born, really. I mean, this is very difficult. Chapter 20, verse 7, O Lord, you induced me, and I was persuaded. You're stronger than I, and have prevailed. I'm in derision daily. Everyone mocks me, for when I spoke, I cried out, I shouted violence and plunder, because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and derision daily. Then I said, well, I'm not going to mention him anymore. I'm not going to speak anymore in his name. So I've, I've had it with this. I'm not, I mean, why should I be mocked all the time? Why should I just get nothing but grief from anybody? But his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I couldn't. I heard many mocking, fear on every side, they report, they say. Report, they say, and we will report it. All my acquaintances watch for my stumbling, saying, perhaps he can be induced, then we'll prevail against him, and we'll take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a mighty awesome one, and therefore my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They'll be greatly ashamed, for they'll not prosper." So this is not easy for this guy either. Furthermore, if we look in chapter 16, verse 1, The word of the Lord also came to me, saying, You shall not take a wife, nor shall, shall you take sons or daughters in this place. For thus says the Lord concerning the sons and daughters who are born in this place, and concerning their mothers who bore them, and their fathers who begot them in this land, they shall die gruesome deaths. So he's saying, I don't want you to have a family because all the nasty things that are going to happen, I want to spare you that. So here he is, no wife, no family. His only helper really is the Lord in this really difficult, difficult thing, uh, job that God gives him to do. And God says, I just want you to do what I tell you to. It's really, he's really an amazing character. So that's Jeremiah, the, the person, and that's the context. Now let's look at the basic message of the book. I'm going to propose that there's three major components that we can use to kind of hang everything else off of a charge, a verdict, and a restoration. So let's think of it kind of in a, in a court proceeding. There's the charge, the prosecution, then there's the verdict, the sentencing, and then when you get out of the, a jail, there's a reentry program. Okay, so that's kind of the way I'm going to think about this today. So the, let's start with the charge. The charge, of course, is sin. Sin is doing what is two things, twofold. It's against what God has told us, and it's against our own self-interest. What what mostly of God's edicts are, don't hit yourself in the hand, head with a hammer. Uh, he, he wants us to do not be self-destructive. So let's look at chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 9. Therefore, I will bring charges against you, says the Lord. So here's the charges beginning. And against your children's children, I'll bring charges. For pass beyond the coast of Cyprus and see, see to cater and to consider diligently and see if there's been such a thing. Has a nation changed its God, which are not God's? But my people have changed their glory for what does not profit? So you've gone from something that profits you to something that's destructive to you. Be astonished, O oh heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken the fountain of living waters, living waters means running waters, and hewn themselves cisterns. Okay, which would you rather have? Cistern water, stale, murky, you know, pigeon poop, you know, and it's would you rather have that or running water? Which would you rather have? Running water, right? But they've used cisterns that are broken and don't hold water. So that's the contrast. So that's the basic charge. You're doing things that don't, tr- don't profit yourself. Let's look at 7 verse 8. And then we can see kind of the uh, source of this. Chapter 7 verse 8. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. You're believing a lie. That's generally what the source of um, all human misery is. There's three things you can really uh, control if you're going to live a profitable life. Who you trust, um, the choices you make, and the attitude that you have. What we're going to see as we go through here is these people are trusting in the wrong things, and that leads to wrong choices. And their basic attitude is, it can't happen to me. I can escape the consequences of bad choices. Okay, It's going to be very familiar, I think. All right. Uh, the result of this, of course, I'm going to go ahead and give you the verdict. so that, uh, And then we'll come back and look at some specific charges. In 9 verse 7, chapter 9 verse 7. Uh, Verse 6, actually. Your dwelling place is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit they refuse to know me, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will refine them and try them. I'm going to use another book of the Bible to just expand on this refining concept. Look at Malachi. This is just one of my favorite verses. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi is right before Matthew. Malachi chapter 3. This is uh, from the Messiah, Handel's Messiah. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire. For he is like a refiner's fire. But here's the cool part. And a launderer's soap. Okay, so they're they're refining fire is kind of foreign to us because we don't refine stuff much anymore. We don't use metals to trade. We use credit cards, you know. We we don't go and assay the s- silver and then weigh it and make sure it's really pure and and it's not full of impurities. And so it's a little bit. But we understand soap. Why do you use soap if you're a launderer to get out the filth and the grease, right? He's like a refiner's fire and launderer's soap. So what he's saying is, I'm going to give these guys a good scrubbing. Okay? Um, Have you ever had a, 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 a child that pooped their pants and it got all over everywhere? Maybe they stuck their hands down in their diaper and wiped it over their face or they're in their crib and they decide to, you know, plaster the crib with it. It's a pretty common occurrence, right? What do you do when you do that? You take them outside and hose them off, right? And then you put them in the bathtub and dunk them under. Cuz you got to you got to clean them off. Well that, that's the basic issue here. So, what we're going to sp- see here is where he's going to he's going to say you're trusting the wrong people, make bad choices and making bad attitudes.
0: This teaching will continue in the following episode. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Blooms podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening.